Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. And you know me, I've been waiting a whole year to say this. Merry Christmas. Yeah, two weeks ago, I wanted so desperately to say it, but I also didn't want to get pelted with little pebbles as I was walking out the door. Um, Some people say it's too soon. It's not. Um, Just today, we're going to be looking at the anticipation of Advent, which gives me license to say Merry Christmas. That's right. Throw those red lights up there, Um, red and green. Um, Just real quick, I do this every single year, but I always have to know who's with me. Um, Raise your hand if you have anything Christmas up in your house yet, a tree, decorations. Yeah, you're my people. Know that by raising your hand, you've actually brought condemnation on yourself from all the hands that are down. Um, But (laughs) anyway, I absolutely love this season. I love this time of year. Um, This year, I'm a little more incognito than usual. Um, I figured out the way to do it. Like outside, I still have the fall stuff up so that when people drive by, they think I'm normal. But if you walk through the house, it looks like something Buddy the Elf did. Um, And so it's like Jingle Bells plays and all that good stuff. Um, I I, I love this time of year. And, um, you know, I I got my passion uh, for honestly for for Christmas and and decorating and all the stuff that I do um, at Christmas for my grandmother. Um, This is actually the first year that I will have a Christmas um, without her. And so by now, we would have usually put up all the stuff in her yard. Um, we would be those people that, you know, as soon as the porch lights off on Halloween, it gives us license to decorate the whole yard. Um, and this morning, doing, uh, you know, just thinking about that and doing these things without her for the first time um, ever has, has put me in an interesting place, but it's put me in a place of reflection, Um, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is with the Lord, but what she left me wasn't just a passion for decorating Christmas, but it was celebrating the message of Christmas all year long. Um, She discipled me. She grew me in the faith. She spoke life into me. And for that, I am incredibly thankful. And so I know that for the rest of my life, um, getting into this season, I will always start it early, which will drive some of you crazy. But I will always think of her and the lineage, the faith lineage that she has left in me. And I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And so today we're looking forward to Advent. We're starting the season of Advent. And I know that for us in this room, it brings so many different things with it, right? That we're all in different positions as far as our family goes. We're all in different positions socioeconomically. We're all in different places with our health and jobs and all of these other things. But I think it's such a beautiful thing what we do each Each and every week, as the people of Mars Hill, we come together and celebrate in unity the one thing that can bring us all together, and that is the person and sacrifice of Christ and the fact that Emmanuel has come, God with us. And there's something to me that's special about this time of year that it it seems to, I, I don't know why, but it's just an extra special time. I don't know that it's that we're more focused on these things. I'm not sure what it is, but I am thankful to be walking this journey with you, my faith family. And I'm so looking forward to this season that as we spend time together, no matter our circumstances, focusing on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Emmanuel, God with us. So let's get in our passage this morning and let's see what the Lord has for us. Look at Matthew chapter one, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at this beginning of the book of Matthew, it looks incredibly different than what we see in the other gospels. And honestly, all of the gospels, when we look at them, they're all different. And the reason why is because they have a different purpose in writing. You guys know this, right? When you're talking to someone, you tend to kind of shape your purpose based on that person. You're going to talk to maybe your family and try to convince them of something differently than you might talk to a friend. And you'll talk to them maybe differently than you would talk to a boss. You know, whenever... Um, a Saturday morning, you know, we, we get up and there's this conversation between my wife and I as to what we're going to do. Um, when we try to convince each other to go to Hobby Lobby to look at Christmas ornaments, it's like, you want to go to Hobby Lobby? Why did you ask? Yes, let's go. But if I'm trying to convince other friends that want to hang out with us on Saturday, we're like, well, you know that if you went to Hobby Lobby, you might find some cool, yeah, let's go to Hobby. Like there's this whole conversation that's going to take place, Right. And so when we look at the Gospels, we need to think of them that way. We need to think of them as a way of communicating a specific point to a specific people. And when we look at the book of Matthew, it's very distinct that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And his purpose in writing is that he is trying to show a Jewish audience that Jesus, that Yeshua is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. That is his entire purpose in writing, and that's why it's so important when we look at these opening details of Matthew. It seems strange to us that he would start with a, uh, a genealogy, right? We don't like reading those because they tend to include names that none of us can pronounce, um, but it starts with a genealogy, and then it moves to like what we would call a time of stress and turmoil and strife in a family, it's, it's weird that you would look at it that way, but if your goal is to convince a Jewish people that have memorized the prophets, that, that know Torah, that know the Old Testament inside and out, that this is the Messiah, honestly, that's where you start. You start in the way that Matthew does, because the genealogy gives the bloodline, the lineage that which Messiah would come, and then we move into this place of prophecy, now, when we look at prophecy in Matthew specifically, there are lots of prophecy fulfilled, and they start all the way back at his birth. Matthew 122 through 23 is what we're going to look at today, and it fulfills Isaiah 7:14. This is the, the, the conception, the, the virgin birth, right, that his name would be Emmanuel, but that's not where Matthew stops. Matthew moves on um, to talk about uh, in response to the visit of the Magi, the religious leaders identified Bethlehem as the place of the coming king of the Jews from Micah 5. We see from Hosea 11 and Matthew 2 that out of Egypt I called my son. And this is talking about uh, obviously pointing back to the Exodus, but also the fact that his family fled Herod, right? Matthew 2, weeping over the dead children after Herod's slaughter, we see that Jesus would be called the Nazarene because he grew up in Nazareth. We see about his life that John the Baptist, the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, fulfills Isaiah. We see Satan tells Jesus that the angels would not allow Jesus to strike his foot on a stone. 
from Psalms. We see Jesus bases ministry out of Capernaum from Isaiah. We see that Jesus came, according to Matthew 5, to fulfill the whole law and the prophets, not to abolish them. We see that he took up our infirmities and our disease. We see that Jesus was the chosen servant of God, that the nations would put their hope. We see that Jesus would speak to people in parables. We see Jesus's entry into Jerusalem on a donkey from Zechariah. We see in his rejection and crucifixion that the stone the builders rejected Jesus had become the cornerstone. We see that Jesus, in predicting his disciples' response to his betrayal, tells them that the shepherd would be struck down and the sheep would be scattered. We see that Jesus' betrayal and capture happened in fulfillment of the scripture. We see when Jesus is on trial before the religious leaders, he tells them that you will see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds. We see the priest use the 30 pieces of silver originally given for Judas to betray Jesus to by the potter's field. We see more than this throughout the book over and over and over again. We see these important details of who Messiah would be fulfilled in Jesus. And all that Matthew is doing is marrying these two together. He's saying, look, this is what the Old Testament said. This is what the prophet said. And this is how you find this in Jesus. And every bit of this is to fulfill what Matthew says in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the very first direct quote from the Old Testament in the book of Matthew. And this is the foundation that everything else is built on. Because if the birth of Messiah does not follow exactly the prophets, then nothing else matters. So now it makes sense to us while we would start with the genealogy, it makes sense to us while we would look at these details in Matthew. Now, when we get to, to verse 18, most of us are so incredibly familiar with this that we don't think of how peculiar it is. But did you ever think about this starting with a time of dysfunction in their family? Like, this is not like one of those pretty, all the families together singing with each other and, and having a great time and all is well in life. This is a time uh, of pressure and turmoil. Look at this. All of these details in Matthew matter, but look at verse 18 and let's read it slow and think about what's going on here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We read that and like, we're like, yeah, okay, let's keep going. But, but think about this. Think about this being the only gospel that seems to record this from Joseph's perspective. Think about how that would make you feel. Think of how in the ancient world, how scandalous this would be. The fact that someone betrothed to be married would show up pregnant at all, much less that the, the husband, the one that they've entered into this betrothal period with is saying, it's not mine. It's not my child. Think of how this starts. Why would you start a book convincing people that this child is the Messiah out of this background? Keep going in chapter, uh, in chapter one, verse 19, it says, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Think about in context of the ancient world, not 2022. Think about what this would have been then. 
Think of how heavy this would have been that Joseph is looking at this situation that he's entered into this marriage contract with someone that they're in this betrothal period and they're going to marry. By the way, in the ancient world, they're legally married at this point. And so you have to go through the process of a divorce and he's a just man and he doesn't want to put Mary to shame. And so there's this strife there. There's this turmoil there of this lady that I'm betrothed to is going to have a child and it's not mine. And so what do I do? I, I divorce her, but how do I do that without bringing her public shame? I'm going to do so quietly. And all of these thoughts going on. Have you ever thought about the picture of this story? Because it's not one that you would think a king would come out of. It's not one that you think that God would wrap himself in flesh and come out of. This tension is developing. And then we get to verse 20 and we begin to see the resolution. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Think about this. It actually took divine intervention to keep this family together. Like that's where we were. Like that's, that's where they were in this time. The angel literally had to step in to stop this divorce from occurring. Why would all this be included? Why would you start a book so messy? Why would you do this? And the reason why is because of verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. I mean, think about that because everyone would have known the background of Jesus. Remember that one of the, one of the favorite flavors of sin in the world has always been gossip. It still is today. Um, when we like to talk bad about people and assume things and all of those things. Think about this in the ancient world. There would have been talk. There would have been people understanding where this man came from. There would have been people that knew the backstory. And of course, the religious elite would look and say, there is no way that Messiah could possibly come from this family. And what Matthew is doing is saying, yes, look at the prophets. Look at the Old Testament. Look at the prophecies about the birth of Jesus. Look back. Because Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill and it connects these circumstances. It connects all of this that's going on with the prophets. And that brings us to a place where we actually begin to see the answer to the question of why do we need prophecy? You know, a lot of people have I've talked about that. What is prophecy? Why do we need prophecy? Well, there's lots of reasons. But one of the primary ones is that without prophecy of Messiah, the whole world would have missed Messiah. Because if we were looking for a king, right? If we were looking for God to come and save us, is this the circumstance we would have looked to? And especially remember in Jewish context, in their mind, they were looking for a ruling king that was going to come and crush Rome, right? They were looking for someone who was going to establish this earthly kingdom. They were looking for someone that was going to step in and radically transform the status quo. They were looking for someone that was going to ride in on a steed with his scepter in hand and claim victory. They were not looking for a baby born to an unwed teen mother. They were not looking for an ordinary family. They were not looking for someone that preached a gospel that promoted serving instead of being served. They were not looking for a gospel. They weren't looking for a leader that was going to emphasize humility over pride. They weren't looking for this person. And that's why it's so important that Matthew says, but remember, 
but remember. And what is he establishing? He's establishing this idea. Do not miss the Messiah just because he doesn't check your boxes. That's what he's emphasizing. That's what he's saying. And guess what? That is what is being spoken to us today. You know, there are so many of us that get in situations and say things like, if there were a God then, and God doesn't check those boxes. If God were to come to earth then, and, and, and he doesn't check those boxes. We need to be incredibly aware of what scripture says, not what our opinion is, because I can promise you, I can promise you that if we go into Scripture, if we go into any situation where the truth of Scripture is proclaimed and the only way we're going to even give it the, the light of day, even give it consideration is if it checks all of our boxes, you will continue to miss the amazing truth of the gospel and the amazing truth of who God is. Because what you've done is you've exalted yourself to the place of God and that God over here has to answer to you. And by the way, that's why we love idols so much is because they answer to us and we get to check our boxes. Understand that's what Matthew is speaking against. I mean, look at Isaiah 53, one through three. It gives us a great example of why prophecy is so important. Look at this. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Very, very unassuming. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. See, without prophecy, we would have never peeked into this family. Without prophecy, we could have never looked at the person of Jesus and said, this could be him. This is him. And that's why Matthew is jumping, screaming, and pointing as a road sign of this is him. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And that's why straight away we get the story that if we just read, we're like, why would you include that? And then it references Isaiah 7, 14 says all of this craziness, everything that happened, therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So does it make sense now why Matthew starts the book this way? Why, why he starts it differently than the other gospel writers do, why he has this different emphasis, it's because he is pointing to the Old Testament the whole time. And whenever we get to Isaiah chapter 7 and we read Isaiah 7, 14, it actually should take our minds to a broader sense of what's happening there in Isaiah. Because if we take Isaiah chapter 7 all the way through chapter 9, if you want a very quick synopsis of it, this is what it says. It says, the promised Emmanuel will possess the land, thwart all opponents, appear in Galilee of the Gentiles as a great light to, to those in the land of the shadow of death. He is the child and son called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
and whose government and peace will never end as he reigns on David's throne forever. Why is that important? Because it's telling us, it's making us begin to think, it's making the original readers of Matthew think, if this has been fulfilled in Christ, then this will also be fulfilled in Christ. There's, there's hope established there. Now, when we look at scriptures, one of the things that you need to remember over the next few weeks is that there are two main types of prophecy. If I'm trying to throw like big blankets over two different groups of prophecy, there are direct prophecies and indirect prophecies. Direct prophecies are where we have these specific words that says this will happen. Like behold, you know, there's a virgin will, uh, uh, will conceive, give birth as a result of the Holy Spirit, right? Those are direct things. But we also have indirect prophecies. These are types and shadows and pictures of things. Um, you guys remember that as we study through the whole book of Exodus, we were not dealing with any direct prophecy at all as we worked through that. However, we were dealing with an incredible amount of indirect prophecy. Remember that as we studied through and we saw that Moses is the mediator between Israel and God, we talked about how that's a type and picture of our greater mediator, Christ, who would stand between sinful man and a holy God. We talked about the tabernacle even as, an like as a building. It was indirect prophecy, right? You enter in through one way by sacrifice at the altar, washed and cleansed into the holy place to be in the presence of God, right? And, and Christ fulfilled that picture. And so there's an incredible amount of indirect prophecy there too. And so as we go through these next few weeks and we talk about the season of Advent and we talk about who Jesus is, we're actually gonna be looking at both of those. But today we're looking specifically at this direct prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. And these direct prophecies and these indirect prophecies do something amazing. They give us hope. You may think, how, how does a prophecy uh, about uh, the, the birth of Emmanuel, this, this virgin birth, how does that give us hope? Well, here's how, because when we look at fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament, and we see that God brought all of this to fruition and the way that he laid out and the way that he accounted it and the way that he planned, then what does that tell us? It tells us that everything that he says is trustworthy. And so it's not about just stopping at the birth of Jesus. It's about everything that God has said is trustworthy. All prophecy is trustworthy. All of scripture is trustworthy. All of the words of Messiah is trustworthy. Why? Because God has been fulfilling these things as we've walked along the path. Look at Isaiah 46, eight through 10. It says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel, counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Think about this. How much hope does this bring? You may say, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. So often people think about God as being able to tell the future. He's like some soothsayer, like he's maybe a step or two above Nostradamus or something. But it's not that God tells the future. God doesn't tell the future. You know what he does? He orchestrates it. He causes it to come to pass. It wasn't that he was sitting in heaven thinking, oh, wow, 
A Messiah is going to be born one day. That's cool. I should tell people about it. No, like this was his plan. This is something that he did. This is something that he caused. Guess what? He didn't sit in heaven and say, one day all of this will end. There will be a culmination of the age. And so I better take advantage of it and and go ahead and write this in and make sure that this is when judgment happens. No, it's not that he's telling the future. It's that he's moving these things to their fruition. It's the active hand of God working through history. And when we see prophecy fulfilled, that's why it brings us hope. Is because he is trustworthy. He's trustworthy to the past and he's trustworthy to the future. And because God has been true, we can stand firm on absolutely all of his promises. Which means that we can stand true on the fact that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I do not have to guess if I'm saved. Because of what he has done. Because of what he did. Not because of what I've done. I know that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I know that in John 14, when Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I do, I'm going to come back for you. I don't have to guess if that's true. It will happen. It is happening. I don't have to guess about 1 Thessalonians where it says that that we'll be called up together and that we'll dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. I don't have to guess about those things. Why? Because he has brought to fruition his plan so far and he'll continue. And I'm so thankful in that he is trustworthy. And that brings us to our very last thing that we're going to look at this morning in verse 23. It says, behold, the virgin uh, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that name. Think about the weight of that name, God with us. And I hope that even me saying that this morning, God with us, rewinds your mind to the last two years of our life. Remember what we said was the purpose of the book of Exodus. It was to restore what was lost in the garden. It was to to bring back this means by which God may dwell with his people. Think about the tabernacle. Think about all of these things. And on the heels of that, we say, Emmanuel, God with us. That, That should do something to our hearts. That should do something to our souls. The fact that God had this plan so that he may dwell with us in a very real way. It's not just this thing that's out there. It's not this idea of who God is. It's not not these thoughts of who he is. We actually see God wrapped in flesh walking the earth. That's amazing to me. And because of this name and because of what God has done through his son, there have been amazing things penned about Emmanuel. Adam Clark wrote this, God with us through every action of our lives that we begin, continue, and end in his name. He is God with us to comfort, to enlighten, protect, and defend us in every time of temptation and trial, in the hour of death, in the day of judgment, and God with us and in us, and we with him and in him to all eternity. That is a beautiful word, guys. God with us. And we should meditate on that name. We should think about that name. We should think about how that name brings to fact that that, that we should think about how far God stooped and bent down for the purpose of saving 
those who will believe, those who will respond in faith to his grace. It also shows us something else, that if he has come to us, then we can go to him. Charles Spurgeon writes this, then if Jesus Christ be God with us, let us come to God without any question or hesitancy. Whoever you may be, you need no priest or intercessor to introduce you to God, for God has introduced himself to you. You know, I have a a pastor friend who used to always use this illustration. Um, He's a pastor in Sarah Land, um, and and he was the first one to kind of use this image. But he said, have you ever really thought about the fact that the God of the universe, the God of the universe, invites you in to be with him? He, He said the way that he thinks about it is he always had the mental picture of climbing up in his grandpa's, uh, in his grandpa's lap. And he, when he was little, like he'd see if his grandpa like had you know, a piece of candy on him. He'd look in his coat pockets and stuff like that and, and sit with him and talk with him and converse with him. That he was like this loving father figure. And that's what God invites us into. Have you ever thought about the fact that you can approach the throne room of God in prayer any time? Have you thought about what's been afforded through Emmanuel, God with us? It's an amazing thing, and it's something that we should think about, we should focus on, we should concentrate on all times, and not just during the season, that God made a way that we may live in community with him, reconciled to God forever and ever. And that's amazing. So we've worked through this passage. We've set up the groundwork for Advent. We've we've laid the foundation for where we're gonna be over the next few weeks, but we don't wanna just lay a foundation. What are some things that we can actually take home from this right now, begin to discuss with our families, think about, pray over, and talk about? I think the first one is that we remember that there's living hope in Emmanuel. There is living hope in Emmanuel. Beloved of Christ, listen to me. Because of the completed work of Jesus, we are never and will never, ever be alone. And there's so much in that, that that we have hope in spite of our circumstances. We have hope in spite of what's going on in our lives. We have hope in in spite of financial needs. We have hope in spite of a medical diagnosis. We have hope in spite of all the things going on around us. We have eternal hope in the person of Jesus. Amen? That is good news. And I think about me, I think about my life, and I've shared this with you guys before, there's so often that I, that Tommy looks at a situation and says, oh, I've got to fix it. Like I start relying on my ideas and my thoughts and my resources and my intellect and all of these other things, and I try to fix it, and I seem to always make it worse when I do. And and I look at these situations so often and I think, how bad is this? This is so bad. There's no hope in it. There's no hope in it. And then it's in those times that I remember that my hope is not in this world. My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is not in all of these things that I can lose, that can fall away. I begin to think about the fact that my treasures are left up in heaven, that they've been stored there, that they're eternal, that I have assuredness of them because of what Christ has done and because of what the scriptures tell me. And at that moment, I have to look and say, I've got to 
give these burdens over. I can't hold them anymore. I can't do anything about this. And I find my hope in Emmanuel and God with us. And I lay it all at the foot of God and I say, take it. But so often that's not my knee-jerk reaction. And so we think about these things, we meditate on these things, and we have to remind ourselves each and every day that Emmanuel is our only hope. The next thing I think that we can focus on and we can take away from here and talk about is the fact that we can trust the words of Scripture. Guys, I, I know that there are things that go on in our life that, that we get caught in our emotions, we get in our own thoughts, and we look at situations and we begin to doubt. I do it too, guys. But we have to understand that that's where faith steps in, that we have faith in things not yet seen. And we have to put aside our thoughts, aside our emotions, aside our doubts, aside our fears, and look to Scripture and say, this is what I trust in. It's not everything around me. This is where my hope is. This is what I trust in. And how can I trust it? Because it's held true. Because it's held true, because everything that God has said either has been fulfilled, and because of the things that have been fulfilled, I know the things that haven't been will be. And I rest in that. And it's so hard. But we can leave from here and we can think about those situations in our life right now that we're struggling with, that we're wrestling with, and we can turn our eyes away from the things that we put our trust in that are temporary, that are going to fail us, and move them to eternal things which will never disappoint. And so I, I think we do that. I think we think about those things. I think we pray about those things. But I also think that this pushes us to the place of a question. You individually, have you trusted what Scripture says about Jesus? What am I asking? Have you bent your knee? Have you bowed your head in submission to him? Have you responded in faith to the grace afforded to us through Christ Jesus? The Bible says that today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you respond in faith to who he is. And so the question to each of us in this room as we hear the teachings of the word of God is, do you trust in these things? Do you trust that the Messiah of the Old Testament is in fact Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is mighty to save? Do you believe that he is the conquering king? Do you believe that his kingdom is eternal? Do you believe that he can pay for our sins? Do you believe that he has paid for our sins? Do you believe that reconciliation to God comes through him? Do you believe that he is our only place of hope and trust? Do you believe that you can lay your burdens on him and that he'll take that yoke and he'll give you his lighter yoke? Do you believe those things? Have you responded? And that's a question you have to answer today is have you responded to the person of Jesus? And as I said before, and as scripture says, if you haven't, today can be the day that you lay it all down and respond to his grace. So I am thankful for the season that we're in. I'm thankful for what's going to come over the next few weeks. I'm thankful for the teachings that we're going to hear about the hope and the peace and the love that comes through the person of Jesus. But I'm ex exceptionally thankful this morning for fulfilled prophecy in his word to bring us to a place that we know that we can trust him in everything moving forward. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for this day.
Um, Lord, I thank you for time together as a family in your word. Lord, I am thankful for some of these sections in your word that we read, and we're like, why are those even there? And then as we study them further, they bring us to a place of, of faith and dependence in you that we did not have before. And so, Lord, as we look at prophecy fulfilled in your son, Christ, Emmanuel, Lord, I pray that you use it to strengthen our faith in you because you have been faithful and you bring us to a place that we know that you will be eternally faithful. Lord, I pray for those in this season um, that, that things are not the way that everyone thinks Christmas should be. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling. I pray for those that have lost loved ones. Lord, I, I pray for those that Thanksgiving seems to be an empty hole and they, they wonder what they have left to give thanks for. Lord, I pray that you bring comfort and peace, that they can give thanksgiving for you and that you are enough. So Lord, this morning we, we do. Lord, we thank you for clothes on our back. We thank you for this community together. We thank you for food. We thank you for water. We thank you for all of those things that you've given us, but Lord, we thank you for nothing more than Christ Jesus, through which we have been afforded salvation. Lord, I ask that you be with each and every one in this room, Lord, that if someone has not responded in faith to the grace that you pour out, I pray that today is their day of salvation, Lord, that you open eyes and hearts to who you are, and that today become a day of a brand new thankfulness that they never could have seen as being possible before because of the transformation you bring in their life. Lord, I pray for Mars Hill as a church that as we go through this season that we are aware of all the situations around us, that we never get stuck in our bubble. Lord, let us never become the main character of our story. Lord, let us look around always seeking who we may bless in your name. Lord, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. And it's in his name that I ask these things. Amen.